0: Hello and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry
1: to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. And now please join your host, Doug Heikkinen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Carlos Legaspi is the president and CEO of Insight Securities a global and money management firm serving high net worth individuals, retirement, corporate and trust accounts since 1970. We talked to Carlos last year regarding his book, Going for Broke, detailing his experience with one of Latin America's major financial frauds, which he turned into opportunity. Today, we dive into the recent developments with our guest examining continuing claims, recent arbitration and the insights he's gained through it all. Welcome back, Carlos.
0: Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to be back.
1: Can you give us an update on the cases that were still pending last time we talked?
0: Sure. So um, when I concluded the book, the perpetrators of the Ponzi scheme that led to the whole ordeal that I describe in the book, they got arrested, had been indicted and arrested. That was in September of 21. The vast majority of the claims against us had already been resolved by then, but there still were a couple lingering ones since then all of the what i call the bad guys uh, have pled guilty so they're just awaiting a sentencing hearing there's not going to be a trial because they confessed the major uh, perpetrator is uh, fernando Haber. he's still fighting extradition in argentina and I guess that everybody probably turned against him but it only happens with uh, with the department of justice and on our side, we cleaned up the, the remaining cases, but then we had a lot of consequences because all these arbitrations are public record. The allegations are public. So we decided to pursue an aggressive strategy to clean up our name and expunge those claims from our record. And we were successful. That was quite a heavy lift, but I'm very happy that we were able to do it. And I learned a lot, you know, about how to go about it. Why is it important? And in against just justice, stand up against bullies. Also, I pursued, I left it on a cliffhanger in the book. I pursued claims against um, Deutsche Bank and State Street. Those are still pending to try to hold them accountable. And so it's been an an adventure and uh, pending the second book. Hopefully it will uh, tie up nicely with what I left open from the first one.
1: So filing arbitrations against Insight Seeking Expungement. Can you explain what that is and why it was important to you?
0: It's something really bizarre. So FINRA, for all uh, members, both broker dealers and registered reps, we are mandated to arbitrate any customer disputes It's part of the conditions of membership. FINRA runs the FINRA dispute resolution, which is the largest arbitration forum in the US and The quirks about it is that because broker check, any allegations brought against a individual registered person, they have to be published in the broker check, regardless whether they've been adjudicated, proven true or anything, any allegation. That puts a big target on the back of any broker because claimants attorneys, then what they do, they go and scan the broker checks, scan the allegations, and then they turn them into advertising on the internet, pretending to be investigating. They they worded really carefully to get as close to something that would make him liable for for libel, for defamation. But just there. And so that appears in the Google searches looking for potential clients, whether with a merit or not, to file claims against reps and against the firms on the knowledge that the public exposure plus the cost of defense, probably they're easy target for a little bit of um, a settlement money. In, in my town, we call that extortion, but that that's how it happened. So when these arbitrations were filed against my firm, the claimant's attorneys to put additional pressure on us, they named me personal. Therefore, all of those allegations were put on my personal public record and broker check that had significant consequences and then a domino effect of, of, of Google searches. Once the cases were resolved, the resolution is public as well. So that's what I call a scar that continues to taint the name of a, and the reputation of a registered person. FINRA does have, um, they've been moving the goalposts in recent years, but they have a process for expungement from CRD from the centralized record repository, which it involves the registered person filing an arbitration against his or her firm for an expungement, and that hearing, same thing has a discovery, costs money, and and mm-hmm. a hearing, and the claimants have an opportunity to object to the expungement. So you need to not only uh, go through the process, but also overcome any potential objections from um, any party that sued you, then the arbitrators will weigh and said yeah in the they call it in the public good for those allegations to remain or be removed. So a favorable award then needs to be taken to a judge that confirms it, which then orders Finra to remove the claims from the record so, Therefore, they're no longer in the broker check, going to put things back the way they were before everything started.
1: There's a number of arbitrations that I believe were successful. And then there's something called an explained award. What's that?
0: So unlike a legal and explained judgment in court, arbitrators are not obligated to explain their decision. They're just going to say, we find in favor of party X for this amount of money or for an expungement, whatever the relief requested that gets granted, no opinion. However, at the request of the parties or the panel on their own, they can issue an opinion. It's not, doesn't set precedent like a, like a, like a court, um, uh, explanation, but it is very useful to the mindset of the arbitrators and what led them to make that Decision. And um, they're very rare explained awards, but when they come, they normally tend to be pretty interesting.
1: There was another arbitration case against Raymond James that you were involved in. Can you explain what that one was about?
0: Oh, that's a centerpiece of my book. So when the Ponzi scheme that I uncovered collapsed, there were a group of victims that had been offered these investments by a woman named Edith Hinojosa in Ecuador. She's Ecuadorian, her clients were Ecuadorian. When the Ponzi collapsed, she fled to the United States. And then she organized her clients to file a $30 million arbitration, both against Raymond James and my firm, because we were providing custody to the perpetrators of a Ponzi scheme. We didn't know that at the time. So for us, we're just doing clerical work, but because of the lax rules and arbitration, we're an easy target and said, hey, we'll, we'll find a way of, uh, of framing insight in and, and Raymond Jameson. And, and I'm not, uh, it's not hyperbole when I say framing. We caught her in a recording saying that to her clients. The claimant attorneys agreed not to pursue any claims against her. So they were in cahoots with her. And so it was a corrupt endeavor from the beginning. However, we were able to get out of the case because I was pretty aggressive and I sued their attorneys. I sued the claimant's attorneys, which their pearls clenched and all that. How dare I? In court, you have what's called rules of civil procedure that binds the attorneys to certain conduct. And in arbitration, the attorneys are not parties, so they're not bound by any rules, so they could just throw rocks from the outside, throw bombs from the inside, and have no consequence to them. So I I sued them in federal court for conflicts of interest, which could bring the whole claim down. And They decided that it would be better to let us go. However, the case continued against Raymond James for years, for five years, and hundreds and hundreds. Of days of testimony because there were 125 claimants, multiple witnesses, and that case was decided in November. And the award to the claimants was zero. And not only that, they got ordered to pay about $400,000 in hearing fees. But what's unusual is that they issue the arbitrators an explained award in some multiple page explanation what it narrates everything that it took into consideration and, and all the uh, lies that Missojojosa introduced and in essence they called her you know a liar and that she was the cause of the clients losing money and that they were trying to pin the responsibility on innocent in third parties. They in that opinion and that explained the word, They corroborated what I explained in my book. So that felt really good that uh, a panel of neutral arbitrators validated what I had said.
1: You called all this poetic justice. Why is that? And what were some of the top lessons you've learned from this?
0: Well, a couple of things. One, it's like I said, it was a corrupt endeavor from the very beginning. You know, the attorneys knew who did it and they decided to protect the perpetrator just because they wanted to go after deep pockets. So um, so not only they didn't collect anything, they ended up paying. So I don't know how, you know, I don't know if the attorneys will pay. I don't know how easy it's going to be to collect from these individuals in Ecuador those $400,000 in hearing fees. But it's not up yet. So it was not like, okay, well, zero and move on. There was a consequence to the claimants. They were also... Uh, exposed because Ms. Hossa was running a uh, very clear money laundering scheme in which her clients participated. So by pursuing this claim, uh, their own misdeeds got exposed. So, you know, and hopefully the justice will come to them. Lessons, this is for my fellow industry people, is uh, if your expectation that the arbitration process is a fair Forum, it isn't. And especially by what I explained, the whole industry of claimants' attorneys, they don't care whether you did anything wrong. They just care how much money they could get out of it. So if in true, you know that you didn't act wrong, that you act properly. What I learned is that the best defense is is an offense. And I not only defended ourselves because we didn't do anything wrong, I had to go and I hired a private investigator to research the claimants and research the attorneys and find any vulnerability and hit him, get him back, get him in, in, in state court and federal court, make him have a price for them to lose. Because if for them, the price is zero, you know, the risk is saying, well, the worst case would get nothing. Then it's a free shot. And, So you need to even the odds by doing that and drag in the attorneys into the case if you find a way to do that. Most likely they're not because they tend to be extortionists. They're not really litigators. They're probably either willing to settle for less or even let you go. So I really, that's something really for firms in the industry, especially if you're independent or you don't, you have your own firm and, And you're not part of these warehouses that have legal departments to defend you. It's, um, yeah, go for them. You know, hit them hard back to even the odds. And then you maybe have a, a just resolution.
1: You're pursuing claims against Deutsche Bank and State Street. What are you seeking there?
0: So the money transfer system and the securities transfer system is predicated that there is a chain of custody. Just like when I send a letter or a parcel, you know, if I put a letter that has a check in the mail and I say it's going to go to this street address, to this apartment number, you are trusting that everybody along the chain, the US Postal Service, Federal Express, UPS, even the uh, doorman in the building will take that parcel, that letter, and put it where it belongs. And then if the address is incorrect, If the apartment does not exist or the party that it's going does not exist, it comes back to sender. Imagine if the address is a suggestion and you send a check to somebody and you make a mistake and the envelope marks a non-existent unit number in an apartment. The doorman gets that envelope. Oh, this apartment doesn't exist. Well, this person doesn't live here. I'm just going to open the envelope and pocket the money. That's exactly what Deutsche Bank and Strict did. We were induced to transfer um, $8.3 million worth of securities to non-existent accounts. Deutsche Bank standard procedure was they're unable to apply assets to a non-existent account, sent back to sender. But that's not what they did. Deutsche Bank took those securities, liquidated them, and collected on a unsecured overdraft that the Ponzi scheme perpetrators had caused at Deutsche Bank. So they covered an overdraft with stolen assets. That's been my effort to hold them accountable. And in all of our legal battles and we fought in different forms, gender arbitration, Florida State Court, Illinois State Court, it's always been it's the incorrect form, it's the party, Is, it's extemporaneous, but they've never explained the basics. Which is what gave him the right to cover the overdraft? What assets that they knew that were stolen? Has never been answered. And that's what I'm pursuing. Because if not, then that brings to question the whole securities transfer and AML checking, you know, saying, hey, you send money to one party, but you put it in somebody else's account. The potential for malfeasance is huge from theft, money laundering. Sanction evasions, all those things. So that, that one's still going on. You know, they've 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 really thrown everything at me, and you know, by grace of God, I'm still pursuing it.
1: <laughs> I can see why that's important to you. It so is. What's next for insight and for you personally? It's been a long journey. There's Google search, there's your name, there's the fortitude for you to get through all this. So what's next?
0: Well, for me, again, I think that is, it's a little metaphysical, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And this ordeal lasted over five years. And there were some really dark times that we uh, came out of the other side. So right now, what I want to do is, in essence, I've turned a little bit into a legend, you know, because I said, man, you know, you came back from the dead. So how you do and I think it just shows that, um, first of all, the fortitude of, of my team, of my company, the resilience. And you never know how strong the firm that you are doing business with is until they're truly tested. And for us, we've been truly tested. So I really want to capitalize on the fact that our name came out. You know, we came out smelling like rose and tested. So, okay, well, all right, let's other... Advisors, other clients that uh, resonate with that. We got a home with us. So I really want to rebuild and increase the network of advisors. There's a lot of business to be had. There's a lot of tectonic shifts globally that are both creating wealth in some parts of the globe. And then this uncertainty in other parts of the globe. So they want to be invested somewhere else. And that's where we specialize. All the international markets That's a bread and butter. And so I think that with everything that's happening in the world right now, having somebody that knows their way around these markets has been around for a long time. It's an asset. So I want to take this baby as far as I can take it.
1: It seems like the journey made you stronger and people are seeing that and want to attach themselves to that strength.
0: Correct. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's kind of wonderful to say, hey, I think like that. I'm. If he could do it, I could do it. You know, I really believe in mentoring and, and inspiration and, and opening doors for others that may have bought into that message of, hey, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, or can't do it. But they see if a guy like me could do it, they could do it too.
1: <laughs> yeah. let's Let's end with the mentoring. What words of wisdom for people going through a similar situation do you have? Never give up.
0: Absolutely never give
1: up. Don't leave anything.
0: You know, don't hold back. Because if I gave it my all and the outcome was not what I expected, you would call it failure. I didn't really fail. It was just not meant to be. Because I satisfied that I left everything on the field. But if I save it, I go timidly, I create my own failure. And I always want to have man, what if I could have made a little bit more effort? It would have been a different outcome. So when I was coaching rugby, I was teaching my my uh, my guys, you never go into the tackle calf hardly. you go in with full force. That's the only way you stay safe. Same thing in business. Give it your all, give it your best, and the outcome will be what it has to be. Not necessarily what you expect, but it has to be.
1: Carlos, it's been great catching up. Um, Love the results. And thank you.
0: Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to talk to
1: you again. To learn more about Insight Securities, visit InsightAmericas.net. Please follow us for timely updates on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, our engineer, Tori Miller, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikman.